Well, we are back in my hometown of Wilmington, Delaware, back at my Little League ball fields, where I just had a blast. This is where I had so much fun, and I was, and our team was so good at this sport. We just loved playing, and, and we would win a bunch of games and win championships and hold up the trophies and celebrate. Uh, just so many great memories back here on this field. And uh, hitting a bunch of home runs. I have so many home run balls in my home uh, from when I was uh, 11 and 12 years old from this field. And one of the best memories that I have is just, it wasn't even a game, it was, it was a practice that we had. And we usually didn't take batting practice on the field, but uh, this time we did. And, and our, you know, batting practice is when the pitcher, uh, the coach is throwing you the, the easy pitches and you're just hitting them as far as you can hit them. And uh, it was so cool because, I mean, there were some of us on the team that could hit home runs a lot of times. When you're on the little field, that's what you do, uh, especially when you were uh, a big guy like me 12 year old kid hitting home runs it was it was so fun to play this game but that practice where we were hitting uh batting practice it was so cool because i mean you would have to get the balls right after you hit them and so our team is is not even in the infield uh they're not even in the outfield they're they're on the other side of the fence catching the home run balls that we were hitting uh, and we just thought we were the coolest thing ever. And while we were doing that, while we were winning the championships and hitting the home runs, my brother was two years old, running around in our team uniforms like our mascot and, and, and kneeling by the plate as a catcher, pretending to, to be a catcher. Just so cute. And, but he's two he's not he's not doing anything helpful for the team he's not hitting the home runs he's not running the bases he's not scoring the runs he's just two running around the field like a little kid as he was now what would it take to believe that your little brother the little mascot running around the field was the son of god how crazy is that you're the, you're the big champion. You're the, you're the home run hitting brother. And you're, you're going to believe that this little kid is going to be God? Are you serious? That is a crazy thing to think. Fast forward a number of years, and now my little brother is not the small two-year-old mascot running around the ball field. Um, he's a big high school basketball star and I'm the old guy with kids and he's beating me on our own driveway in basketball. Back him down, back him down. <laughs> Did you block him? <laughs> I 
it's a humbling experience to say the least. And it's hard to believe because in my mind, he is the, the two-year-old that's running around the ball field and I'm the, the big home run hitting championship winning star and now he is beating me on the basketball court. How could that be? I've seen him grow up. I've seen him change his diapers. I've seen him uh, learn how to walk and ride a bike and all of these things. And now he is beating me on the basketball court. I, it's hard to believe. Just like it's hard to believe that he would be the son of God. How is that possible? Or what would it take for him to believe that I was the son of God? Maybe he looked up to me as a little kid and, and now he was beating me in basketball, right? Who's this guy? The son of God, are you serious? And it had to be a similar way with James and Jesus and Jesus' other brothers and sisters growing up. Imagine being in that family, in that household, doing everyday life together, eating meals together, going on trips together, going to the market together. And then your brother claims that he is the son of God? You're not going to believe that. There's no way you're going to believe that. What would it take? What would it take for you, for, for a brother or sister of Jesus, to believe that he was the Son of God? What would it take for you to believe that your brother was the Son of God? You know them. You've seen them do all of these normal, everyday things. And yet they're making these wild, crazy claims. What would it take? Your familiarity with the story of Jesus, your closeness to the story of, of Christmas might hinder you from understanding the entire thing. You might miss Christmas because you understand it so much. You might miss Christmas because you're so close to it. You see the nativity scenes and maybe you go to church and, and you sing the Christmas carols and you, you know the story, but you're missing Christmas because you're so familiar with it. And how could this be possible? How could this be true? I know this. I know all about it. And you might miss Christmas. And I'm telling you this season, don't miss Christmas. Don't miss Christmas. So what would it take for you to believe that your brother was the son of God? Like your brother that brother, that brother that picks his nose and eats weird things and does strange and silly things, that brother, what would it take? You might think that this is a little bit of a strange question to think about, but it's exactly the question that the brothers and sisters of Jesus had to answer. Did you know that Jesus had other brothers and sisters? Did you know that? Did you know? Did you know? Jesus had other brothers and sisters. And of course, Jesus was the firstborn son of Mary, and he's the one that we celebrate at Christmas time, and you know, none of the other brothers or sisters are there because Jesus is first. And so they come afterwards, but Jesus' family, their family, they, they, they were James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and all his sisters. And this verse in Matthew 13, 55 through 56 is the first time we hear or meet Jesus' earthly brothers and sisters. 
And so again, he was the firstborn, uniquely born son of Mary. And we're going to talk about Mary and her relationship with Jesus on Christmas Eve, on Friday and on Saturday. So I hope you can be there for that. It's going to be a great time together. And, but Jesus' family, his brothers and sisters, they grew up together in a little town called Nazareth. And Nazareth was in the middle of nowhere. It was a in the you know, random rural place with maybe, maybe 100 or so, 200 people in this entire town. This small, nobody went there, nobody went there uh, to do anything. No king was going to be born in this little town. Certainly God, if he were to show up on this planet, wouldn't come to the middle of nowhere, Nazareth. But that's where Jesus grew up. And, and he started teaching around this area, teaching incredible, timeless wisdom, and teaching in these amazing stories called parables, and doing miracles. And he would teach things like this. He'd say, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And you put that mustard seed in the ground, and it's the littlest of garden seeds. But when it grows up, it grows big and strong, and the birds come and land on its branches. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Or the kingdom of heaven is like, like a woman who bakes a loaf of bread, and it just takes a little bit of yeast, and you put a little yeast into the loaf, and it permeates through the whole loaf. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Or the kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds a hidden treasure in the field. And so he sells everything he owns to buy the field because he wants that treasure. And anything he sells to give up to get the treasure is completely worth it. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus is teaching timeless wisdom in these amazing stories called parables, and doing miracles around where he grew up. And then it says he returned to Nazareth, his hometown. And when he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? And they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and all his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. They're saying, who does this guy think he is? We know exactly who he is, and that's all he is, and that's all he'll ever be. And maybe you've had similar words spoken over your life. That's all you are, and that's all you'll ever be. Maybe especially if you grew up and you, uh, near your hometown and there was lots of people who knew your family, knew your parents, and when they meet you, they say, oh, you're their son or daughter. <laughs> I know them. You know, they're so, insert your favorite adjective there, right? And you're just like them. That's all you are. That's all you'll ever be. Or, or, or we know them, like, they're a bunch of liars, that whole family, they're a bunch of hypocrites, and, and if you're just like them, that's all you are, and that's all you'll ever be. Or maybe you've had these words spoken over you in your job. You know, when you entered into that internship experience, 
20 years ago, and you were excited to have that new job, and you've been there for 20 years, you've invested everything you've had, you've, you've showed up early, you've stayed late, you've given your whole life to this company, and your senior executives treat you still like an intern. Or at least they pay you like one, right? <laughs> Sometimes familiarity, the closeness we are with people, makes us miss what is standing right in front of us. We might miss what is literally right in front of our eyes. Or maybe some of you have experienced this with church. If you grew up in church sort of like I did, everyone always remembers you as the little kid running around, no matter how old you are. Oh, you're the kid that plays basketball in the gym after the service. And now you're preaching? What? That's not possible. That's not true. You can't be. That's, that's not who you are. That's all who you are, and that's who all you'll ever be. We can be so close to Jesus and miss Jesus. We can be so familiar to Christmas and miss Christmas. And I'm telling you in this series, don't miss Christmas. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew that this is how human beings respond to things that are people that are close to them. And so Jesus told them, he said, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his own family. And so he did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. Now, I don't know exactly what that last verse means, but to think about what he's saying there is scary to me. Because instead of God doing many miracles, maybe in our life, many miracles in our town, many miracles in our church, there is a chance that God may do only a few miracles because of our, what? Unbelief. Church, may we believe that God can do immeasurably more than we can ask or think or imagine. we got to believe that. So Jesus' brothers and sisters, they understandably didn't believe, they didn't understand Jesus. After all, he was their brother. <laughs> Who does he think he is, Mr. Big Shot Brother? And the next time we see the siblings of Jesus is a little later in Jesus' ministry. In John chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, it says, After this, Jesus traveled around Galilee. He wanted to stay out of Judea where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters. And Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea where your fathers can see while your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers didn't believe in him. They thought Jesus was crazy. <laughs> if he really was who Jesus claimed to be, then he certainly shouldn't have been doing what he was doing. You can't be hanging out in the middle of nowhere, random place, if you're going to be the talk of the world. 
If you've come to save the world like you're claiming you've come to save, you can't do that in the middle of nowhere when nobody knows your name. There's brothers are telling them, you've got to go to the center of things. You've got to go to the heart of where society is happening so that you can be famous, so that everyone can see you, so that everyone can see what you're doing. You are not only doing what, I don't, what they didn't think was the right thing to do, they're looking at Jesus and telling Jesus, you are doing this all wrong. They're telling Jesus, I know better than you. You are doing this wrong. And Joseph, he thinks he knows better than Jesus. He doesn't believe in him. He says, after all, it's, he's my brother. Simon thinks he knows better than Jesus. He doesn't believe him. Judas thinks he knows better than Jesus. He doesn't believe him. James thinks he knows better than Jesus. He doesn't believe him. It's like, he's my brother. And maybe you're a little like that too. You know all about Jesus. You've been to church. You know the Christmas story. You've seen the movies. You've sang the songs. But you just don't believe him either. Could it be that your familiarity with Jesus is the reason you don't believe in him? Could it be? Could it be that your familiarity with Jesus is the reason you don't believe in him? And if so, we are so glad that you are here. Like, this is the best place for you to be. We invite you to keep coming back, keep listening, because I want you to see what happens to Jesus' brothers and if they stay this way. Because, fast forward, just a handful of years. And we find one of Jesus' brothers in the scriptures again in Acts chapter 15. The same brother who doesn't believe in Jesus. We see that everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. The Apostle Paul and Barnabas, their missionary journeying all throughout around the Mediterranean Sea, and they're seeing all these miraculous things happen, and they bring back, they come back to Jerusalem, and they're telling them everything that happened, this is what happened, this is what God did. And when they got done, finished speaking, somebody stood up and said some words. Who do you think that person was? James, Mr. Brother James. He's still there. He didn't disappear. He didn't go float away somewhere. He is still there at the center of the story. James stands up. But it gets better because what James says next gives us a window into the man that James became, a follower of Jesus that he became. This is what he says. He says, brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself. And this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted. As it's written, he's quoting scripture afterward, I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles, all those I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken. He who made these things known so long ago. And he goes on, and then so he says, so my judgment is, 
is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. For these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. I want us to see a number of things here about James. James has incredible knowledge of the scriptures, and he points back into, into the scriptures, and he pulls out two specific passages and applies them directly to this situation that he's in. That takes incredible skill that you all should have, and we need to help you to have that skill. And so he's pulling these scriptures out, and he's applying them directly to his life, into his situation, based on what his brother has accomplished. He's looking at Amos 9, 11, and 12, and Isaiah 45, 21. He's also, as you can see, they're reporting to him, he's a leader in the church in Jerusalem here. And as a leader, he is making decisions based on Scripture. He's also showing a desire for peace within the church. He's emphasizing grace over the law. He's showing his great care for the Gentile believers, which this is incredible because as a Jewish boy growing up, he would have looked at those Gentile believers very differently. Something has changed in this man. And also, if every believer, if all the believers were coming to James, he's the center of attention, right, in the, in the church, and coming to him with these questions, what do we do, how do we treat this, how do we move forward, James, well, he could have just said, I'm Jesus' brother, Jesus isn't here, I'm left, just listen to what I have to say. It would have made sense, but James wrote a book in our New Testament called the book of James. And never does he use his position as Jesus' brother as a personal gain tactic. Never does that. He calls himself, in fact, a servant of Jesus. That's, this is incredible, okay? The servant of Jesus. What he's saying is, is that I am a servant of of my brother. <laughs> what? what happened? What happened between James not believing in his brother and then years later him believing? What happened? This is an intentional question, a very intentional question, because obviously the answer is he believed. That's what happened. But there is something that happened that is a reason for why he believed. What is that reason? What if, let's just, what, what would it take to believe that? What do you think happened? What do you think happened? Shannon gave the right answer, and, and we're getting there in a second. But let's give out some wrong answers, right? What could he do to just show that he's, now he's worth believing in? There you go. That's a good one. Yeah, all right. Those are good ones. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, like if your brother could turn water into wine, 
pretty cool. Or if, or if you're out fishing one day, you know, you're, you're on the boat together and you're fishing and you're reeling a fish and you pull out the fish and you reach in its mouth and pull out some coins, that'd be pretty cool. Wouldn't that be cool? Or like if you're in the middle of nowhere and you're getting a little hungry and your brother just creates this endless buffet, you're like, this is amazing. You would believe, I mean, you would be tempted to believe, right? Jesus did all of those things. <laughs> And still, his brothers didn't believe in him. So what happened? What happened? Well, Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. And he was buried, and he raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. And then he was seen by who? James. So what changed James's mind? What happened between him not believing and him believing? He saw his resurrected brother. And if your brother could predict his death and resurrection and actually pull it off, that just might be what it would take for you to believe that your brother was the son of God. Because if he could predict his own death and resurrection and actually make it happen, you just might have to believe, because James did. James did. And these verses on the screen, or if you're looking at them in your scriptures, are probably some of the most important verses in all of the Bible. And one of the reasons why they're so important is because the person who wrote these words, the, the human author who wrote these words, his name was the Apostle Paul, and he lived in the first century, and if you're talking to a New Testament scholar today, somebody who studies the Bible for a living and writes articles and all this stuff, almost none of them question if 1 Corinthians, chapter, or 1 Corinthians itself was written by the Apostle Paul. They almost all agree that there was a, a guy named Paul who lived in the first century who wrote this document in about 50, 60 AD, right? They're, they don't question that. And if you, you know, are living on this planet, you know there are a lot of people that question a lot of things in the Bible. <laughs> I don't believe that. That's not true. That's crazy. You know, they, they make up all these stories. But almost nobody questions the historical accuracy of this document. And so I say it's one of the most important verses. This whole book is one of the most important books is because here, if you just, you know, were, you're talking to your skeptical friend and they didn't really believe everything in the Bible to be true, you could say to them, look, there's almost nobody in, in all of academic world that questions whether or not this document called 1 Corinthians was an actual ancient historical document written in about 60 AD. And in this document, there is somebody who was there who wrote down so close to the actual events that there was a man named Jesus who died. And there was a man named Jesus who rose again from the dead. And then he appeared to all of these people. Like this is not just fable. It's not just believe and, and everything will just work its way out. Like this is historical fact, historical truth rooted in reality that Jesus is alive, that Jesus did all of these things. And Jesus 
And, and so every moment, every moment that you spend wondering about these things, every moment you spend studying these things is worth it. Because this truth that happened 2,000 years ago is what changes lives. It's what changes your life, and it's what changes the history of the world forever. And so I just want to invite you to consider this Christmas season where you stand with Jesus. We all know about Jesus. We're familiar with Jesus in one way or another, or even if today is the first time you ever heard of Jesus, you've at least heard of him for about half an hour or so. You know the Christmas story, but you could be like James. You just might not believe. You know the information, but there's something that's holding you back. Maybe you think you know better. Like, remember James and the other brothers of Jesus, they were telling Jesus, they're doing it wrong. <laughs> you, better go, you better go downtown where everybody can see you and make you famous, right? And I know, I know you've never told God that you know something better than he does. That's somebody else's problem <laughs> to deal with, right? That's not your problem. You know, you never told God, hey, I think you should do that. I think you should give me this. I didn't think you should have done that, right? You've never done that before, I know. But somebody else has done it in the past. You could be like James. Unbelieving, think you know better. But today, this season, even maybe right now, I invite you, I urge you, I plead with you to move into this post-resurrection version of James. Right? So like before James saw his resurrected Savior, he didn't believe, he, he thought he knew better. And after he saw Jesus, he was a believer, he was a follower, he didn't use his position as a family member of Jesus for personal gain. He called himself a servant of his brother. James loved the scriptures. He led well. He loved everyone well, especially those who were far from God. So what will help you make the change? What will help you move from pre-resurrection version of James to the post-resurrection version of James. I think it's the same thing that helped James will help us, is we need to believe and we need to know that Jesus is alive. Like, we need to know this, and not just know information about it, like know it, to experience it for ourselves, to believe it with all our heart, to follow after it with all of who we are. We have to know it to be true for us, for you, for us individually. And not just like an experiential kind of thing, but to know it for yourself from the scriptures. Because it's the scriptures that record this event that happened 2,000 years ago that God has preserved for us for thousands of years. We got to know it. We can know it that Jesus is alive. And if Jesus is alive, then following him is not just something that we do on Sundays at church. This is an everyday, reality-shifting, transformational, historical truth that changes everything for you and for the world. So you got to know this. 
And if Jesus really did rise from the dead, then that gives you a mission to live for and a purpose to live for. And I don't know about you, but if James, who was the brother of Jesus, needed to believe in his brother to be saved, then I'm thinking that I need to believe in Jesus too. If the brother doesn't get a free pass, I definitely don't get a free pass, and neither do you. Everyone needs to believe in Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you that you are alive, that you are real, that Christmas isn't just some made-up story over the last thousands of years, but that there is really a man who walked on this planet 2,000 years ago who said he came from heaven, who said he was going to die for the sins of the world, and he said he was going to come back to life. And this reality, this truth is recorded for us in the scriptures that are 100% true and historical. And we read them today knowing and believing that you are speaking to us, God. That when we are challenged in a season like this to consider, can a, can a virgin really have a child? Can angels really appear? How does something happening on the other side of the earth affect me today? When these questions and doubts and difficulties rise up within us, may we know that we know that we know that we know that we believe that this is true, that every part of it is true, that Jesus, you have risen from the dead, that you are alive today and you are working and moving in our life, in our community, in our church. So Lord, help us to follow after you. Help us to pursue you. Help us to tell the world the good news of the gospel. That Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to all of these people, including James. And he wants to appear to you, to all of us. So God, I just pray that in this Christmas season that we would know for certain that we are right with God, that we are saved, that we're forgiven, that we have a forever reserved place in heaven and have eternal life right now because of what Jesus has done for us. Lord, you did everything, and we trust you, we follow you, and may our lives reflect all of this in Jesus' name.